are in a series of messages out of Ephesians chapter 4 that we have called Bodybuilding. And uh, we're going to jump in there. We're, we're going to finish this up next week, this series of messages, um, and uh, kind of two parts. This is part one this morning of what will be kind of a two-part message. And uh, let's look at our text. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. As Paul's writing to the church about how they should grow, he says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we spent the last, uh, I don't know, a couple of months talking about this passage of Scripture, about how the body of Christ is to be built up. Those are his languages, uh, his choice of language there, that we are body building in corporately the body of Christ, individually our own selves as a part of the body of Christ. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just be kind of real honest with you. Um, as I was preparing and charting out and walking through this series, I was done last week. No, actually, I didn't preach last week, did I? I was done weeks ago, right? I was done. Two, I thought, I'm, I'm done. This is good. We're, we're done with this series of messages. But there was one phrase there that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my spirit. I felt like the Lord was just kind of prodding us to come back to and consider the phrase that's there where Paul talks about that we are to speak the truth in love. Do you, do you ever do anything in the evening and then it kind of irritates you and then you end up going to bed frustrated or irritated or maybe even a little angry? You ever had that happen? Never? Okay, well, you are, uh, ma'am, you're a better man than I am. And uh, I had it happen, I don't know, week before last. I had a long day. Literally, it was about 12 hours of meetings and just sorting things out and doing things. And I got home and um, a little late and I and I glanced at my phone before I went to bed and I looked at Facebook and that was my big mistake because I just got I just got irritated as I started looking at all the different posts that I saw and and there were there were things uh, about just atheists blasting who God is and there were Christians making arguments for non-scriptural things and talking about topics like same-sex marriage and and these these battles with atheism I saw all kinds of stuff about a movie called Fifty Shades of Grey. Have you heard of it? I saw how certain Hollywood stars were defining their own personal level of Christianity. And how Katy Perry can dance with the shark and say God called her to do it at the same time, right? I watched as I saw Christians bashing other preachers online. And bashing churches who were trying to do God's work. And then I watched things about false teachers who are saying things that just clearly aren't biblical. And I went to bed and Rhonda was like, what's the matter with you? And I was like, the whole world's wrong. That's what's wrong, woman. Right? You know, you're just, you're just so irritated. And this phrase kept coming to my mind. That Paul says that we are, as the church, to speak the truth in love. So next week... We'll talk about the love part of that passage. We're going to talk about if we are to be people who speak truth with love, how do we confront our culture in a loving way? How do we confront each other in a loving way? What is that love that's at the heart of that? So next week, we're going to look at that. This morning, though, I want to talk about the subject of truth. Because this, this phrase that Paul uses here, speak the truth in love, doesn't always mean what you think it means. And I think sometimes we use this in a way that's very biblical, but it's not actually applicable to what Paul is saying here in this scripture. So can I give you this morning six truths about truth? I want to I give you this morning, and we'll, we'll roll through this kind of rapid fire here today. Six truths about truth. And this is going to require us to put our thinking caps on a little bit. Um, this is going to, yeah, uh-oh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of scripture and we're going to roll through this. I wrote it in my notes, so much scripture, so little time, right? So let's jump in. Six truths about truth. Here's truth number one. The truth is more than words. Number one, the truth is more than words. 
oftentimes when we use this phrase from Ephesians chapter 4, we'll use it in, 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 in the context of conflict with someone else. When we'll say, you know, brother, you know, sister, I just, I just need to speak the truth in love to you. And that's a biblical idea, isn't it? It's an idea that if I'm going to communicate something with you, Paul says that everything we do should be done with love. And James tells us, Paul tells us, Peter tells us, Jesus tells us that if there is something that's between us and a brother, between us and a sister, we should speak the truth about that thing and we should do it in a loving way. So this idea of biblical loving conflict is all throughout scripture. In fact, it's a key part of us being the body of Christ. But what Paul is speaking about here actually goes far beyond that. It moves beyond that point. When he talks about truth here, he's talking about more than just words. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. Look at this again. Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And what Paul is saying here when he talks about speaking the truth in love is more than just the words that you and I communicate to each other. Speaking the truth in love is about how you live Not just what you say. In fact, that very word isn't just about how you verbalize. It's about how you live your life. It's living the truth. It's doing the truth. It's maintaining a lifestyle of truth in your own life day in, day out. Paul is not just saying, hey, it's what you talk about. It's how you live. In fact, as, as we watch this, he will make the case that this is essentially critical to how the church thrives and grows and survives. If the church is going to live in a culture that is in opposition to Christianity, then it's critical that the church lives out the truth. And if, as we'll see in just a moment, he's speaking of truth, not in contrast to conflict between you and I, but in contrast to heresy, in contrast to false truth. And what Paul says here is that speaking the truth in love is about how you live and not just what you say. So let me just just throw this out and we'll actually unpack this a little bit more next week. But speaking the truth in love is not a biblical license to express your personal opinion. I've known that guy. He doesn't speak the truth in love. He speaks his opinion with an attitude and says Paul told him to. Oh brother, I'm just going to speak the truth in love to you. And it's not the truth, it's just their opinion. And it's not in love, it's, it's kind of rude. It's kind of mean. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not license for you to blast someone with your opinion and then feel good about yourself because you said you put a little icing of love on a bitter cake. It's more than that. He's talking here about how we live and living out the truth. How we respond. How we treat one another. It's not just vocalizing, it's saying, this is the truth. And as sure as I stand here behind this square table, I'm telling you today, you are to live according to the truth. So here's what Paul says, truth number one, the truth is more than words. Number two, the truth exists. The truth exists. Now let me just go on the record this morning. This, this is a, a Sunday morning sermon on Daylight Saving Sunday, right? <laughs> this is not a philosophy class. In fact, the more I dug into this thought and this topic, we could unpack this for, for a week each point. We, we go six weeks with this. I, I took a whole class in college that I did not understand on just this one point, right? The truth exists. It's real. And what I want you to understand today, what I hope you'll see is this. There is absolute truth. And we can't even begin to cover it. But our culture questions that in a lot of ways. Let me, let me throw a couple of the philosophical or cultural terms your way. Sometimes when we speak about truth, we, we think of it in a culture of pluralism. And pluralism is this. It's the fact that everyone has the right to their own truth. So if you live in a pluralistic society, sometimes we'll even use a term like a postmodern society. We would say that everyone has the right to their own truth. So if you want to believe something, that's cool. And I'll believe something, that's cool with me. And you believe what you want to believe. And if it works for you... <laughs> I'm happy for you. And then I'll believe what I want to believe. And we live in that kind of a society where everyone has the right to their own truth. It's pluralism. Oftentimes also you'll hear a term like relativism. Which says that truth is not absolute. But exists in relation to a culture and context. So there is no absolute truth. You just find a certain sense of truth in the culture that you're in or the context of your situation or maybe the, the historicalness of the, 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 the thing that you're talking about. And you find that. But there is no absolute truth. 
either the truth is each one finds their own truth or there's just is no truth it just fits situationally and these are two ideas that if if you really think about it and if you break it down are very prevalent in our society and people say hey i want to believe what i want to believe and people say there is no absolute truth now here, let me, just, let me just help you with a thought. There is absolute truth. There are things that are definitive. They are black and white. And this might be kind of a, a crude analogy, but if last week you had walked outside your front door in your swimsuit and said, I love Fort Lauderdale while you were at your house here in Toledo, would you be deluded? Yeah, that's not snow. It's white sand. You're You're crazy. You can believe it as much as you want to believe it. You can say, hey, that's truth for me. If that's truth for you, you're either crazy or, or just your expectations are super low, right? There is such a thing as absolute objective truth. It exists and it's critical as a follower of Christ that we find it. Let me tell you where you can find it and this, this is key. Absolute truth exists in God's word, the Bible. That's where we find it. That's where it's found. And contrary to challenges and expressions that people will make, absolute truth exists in God's word, the Bible. We see it in, in so many different ways throughout Scripture. And I, I wrestled with taking a lot of time this morning to kind of unpack that. And Pastor Bill did a great job a couple of weeks ago of helping us to see just how critical the Bible is to our everyday life. And we've talked about this in other times. And I, and I could unpack the arguments. And, and you can go to different authors. Uh, just, just in preparing for this message, I looked at, at, at resources from Josh McDowell, George Barna, Lee Strobel. I would encourage you to look at any one of those authors and what they write about making a case for faith and for the scriptures. But let me just, let me just throw it to you this way. I, I, I could roll through all that, but there's a good chance, and you're, you're listening to this, you're in church this morning, at some point you've got to realize it just comes down to a statement of faith, doesn't it? At some point I just have to say, I believe this to be true. Because there's plenty of arguments, but, but there's plenty of arguments that go either way. I mean, I could talk to you about God's word and I could talk to you about its authority and I could talk to you about its, its credibility and I could talk to you about how all throughout history it stayed firm and stable and I could talk to you about how God used 40 different people to write one big book that all has the same theme and idea. It does not contradict itself. In fact, it leads and points us in a beautiful way to God's salvation and his hope for our lives. I could talk to you about all of that, but at the end of the day, it just comes down to the fact, will you accept it by faith to be true? That God's word the Holy Scriptures are absolute truth, and he gives it to us in the Bible. The Bible itself affirms this. It says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writes this to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He says to Timothy, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's a cool term, isn't it? God actually breathe life into it all scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work first thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 paul says and we also thank god continually because when you receive the word of god which you heard from us you accepted it not as a human word but as it actually is not as a human word but as it actually is the word of god which is indeed at work in you who believe what makes it so different? First, or Second Peter chapter one verse twenty-one, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Absolute truth exists in God's Word. It's not just another book. It gives us the map. It gives us the compass. It helps us to see how we should live our lives. Absolute truth exists in God's Word. And let me let me give you one other thought while we're here. Absolute truth exists in a person, and that's Jesus. In fact, he said this for himself. He said, I am the truth. Listen to how John declared this for us. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In fact, listen to the conversation that he had with Pilate just before Jesus' execution. Pilate says to him in John 18, verse 37, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asks the question that every culture asks, 
what is truth. It exists and it's absolute and it's real. And at some point, you have to make it a matter of faith. You have to make it a matter of trust that you believe in this source of truth. And at some point, you got to find that as a source of truth. As, as sure as I lean on this square table this morning, at some point, you have to come to a place where you say, I lean on that. I trust that. I affirm that. Josh McDowell, in his book, Beyond Belief, talks about how the fact that truth in our hearts must go from a what to a who. We must realize that truth is not just what we believe, but it's who we believe in and that we find truth in Jesus Christ. The truth is objective, that it does not change and that there is no other equal. Jesus did not come and say that I am a truth. He said, I am the truth. And so truth exists and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And for some of you, this is critical Because you're at a point of making a decision to say, Lord, I I affirm that truth above anything else that I've chased after or any other place that I've looked to find satisfaction or any other place that I look to find peace or hope or salvation. Jesus, I affirm that you are the one that I hold on to as truth. I make you the Lord of my life. I make that commitment in my heart. Next Sunday morning, we'll we'll have some water baptisms that are going to take place. I was talking with a, a friend just this week who plans to get baptized next week because he's been wrestling this to the ground that Jesus is the truth absolutely in his life and that he 100% affirms that. So when you take that step of water baptism, you publicly not only have an expression of what Christ did in your life, that the, the picture of baptism is a beautiful one, how we go down into the water and we die to ourselves and then we're raised again to new life in Christ Jesus and we're cleansed by what he did for us. That's the picture of baptism. But not just that alone. Baptism gives us an opportunity to publicly say, I affirm that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And if you've not yet taken that step of water baptism, boy, don't miss it next week. Stop by the the information center out in the connection center. Stop by one of the kiosks and grab a form. I think you can even sign up online. But sign up to be baptized next Sunday morning. We would love to celebrate with you that affirmation of God's truth in your life. Because here's here's the truth. Truth exists. Let me give you a third truth about truth this morning. Here it is, number three, that truth is essential. Truth is essential. Sometimes we think we can dismiss it. Sometimes we think we can can ignore what is true and what isn't. But but I want you to go back to what Paul says. As he's talking in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 14, he says, We do not want to be immature. And we'll look at that passage in just a moment. And then in verse 15, he says, instead, we want to grow and we want to be strong. And the bridge between being like an immature infant and being a strong, mature person, Paul says the truth is the bridge between those two things. That when we speak the truth in love, it takes us from a place of immaturity to a place of maturity. It takes us from a place that is very unstable to a place that is secure. The truth, Paul says, makes all the difference. And here's what he says, that the truth is essential for the church. Grasp this, because in our, in our day and time, and even in our own existence, in our own lives, truth is being challenged in so many different ways that you and I have to recognize For a church to be strong, for a church to move forward, for a church to have a foundation, at some point it has to affirm this, that we believe that there is absolute truth. You think that's true? (laughs) Yeah, truth is essential for the church. The maturity of the church depends on the living out of the truth. The maturity of the church depends on, it won't happen without it. If you take a commitment to absolute truth out of the church, it weakens it. It takes, it takes the skeleton out of the body. It gives the muscles atrophy and weakness. You cannot function as the body of Christ in a healthy and a mature way. You can't function as a member of the body of Christ in a healthy and a mature way if you remove the truth. Here's, here's the main reason why. Not only is truth essential for the church, but truth is essential for salvation. And, and we'll, we'll dig into this here in just a moment, but here's the, the bottom line issue. Salvation is only found in in one place. And unless we accept that truth, we miss out 
on salvation. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is essential for salvation. So let's, uh, let's take this one more very practical step then. Because so far this is, this is really cool, isn't it? <laughs> the truth exists. We love that. And that it's essential for the church to grow, for us to be saved. But let's just, let's just break it down to just the absolute uh, bare essentials. This, this is where it's going to affect us on a daily basis. Number four, the truth will be challenged. It's easy for me to say I believe something. But it's going to get pushed against. There's things that are going to come your way. There's things that are going to come in opposition and in conflict. And here's a truth about truth. Truth will not always just um, declare itself to be true. There will always be people who will say, I don't believe it. I don't accept it. I think it's different. The truth will be challenged. This, this is why Paul even writes this to the church in Ephesus. He tells them they need to speak the truth in love. Why? Because he's afraid they're going to start buying into things that aren't true, but that they're false. Go back to verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Picture the ocean. Can you picture the ocean in your mind? Now picture a cork. What does a cork do if you toss it out into the ocean? It bobs and it's battered and it's back and forth in the waves and it's up and it's down and it's here and there. That's the picture that Paul paints for us here. He says, as infants in Christ, we're up, we're down, we're here, we're there, we're all over the place and we're tossed back and forth. He says, even to the point that that happens because there are people who are cunning and crafty. They have deceitful schemes and their intention, whether it's... um, Obvious or not, maybe even whether it's intentional or not, is to get you to not believe the truth because the truth will be challenged. This is why Paul says, if we are the church, and remember, he's writing this to a, to a church in a culture that was not familiar with Jesus Christ. Their money did not have a, a saying on it, even at any time in their history, that said, in God we trust, right? It might say, in God's we trust, In Caesar we trust. He's writing to a purely pagan society. And he says to them, in this culture where you will be both inside the church and outside the church, challenged in the area of the truth, you must live it out, live out the truth in love. He says it this way, Jude chapter 1 verse 3. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith That was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Paul says, I'd like to write to you about grace. Or this isn't Paul, this is Jude. Jude says, I'd like to write to you about grace. I'd like to write to you about salvation. I'd like to write to you about just how how wonderful what Jesus did in your life is. He says, but I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. To fight for the truth. That was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for morality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. I'll tell you two things um, about this challenge. One, the truth will be challenged by the culture, won't it? The culture and the world around us will say, how do, how do you know that's true? How do you, how do you prove that's true? You, you say it's true, but it seems awfully narrow. It seems awful um, cruel. It seems awful. You ever heard the word intolerant? <laughs> and the culture says, look, why, why can't everyone just define their own truth? Why can't everyone just, just be happy? So the truth will be challenged by the culture. But listen to what Paul said. Listen to what Jude said. Listen to what Jesus says, that the truth will also be challenged from within the church. That even from within the the house of God, there will be times when we will be challenged in the truth, even by those who claim to be expressing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's why you and I must be affirmed for ourselves 
that the truth of God's word as expressed in the person of Jesus Christ is absolute truth. Do you see the need for that? Listen to what Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You ever had the inside of your ear itch? Man, how many of you are thankful for Q-tips? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I, I want a little doctrinal Q-tip to just kind of just kind of scratch that itch. And Paul says, look, there's plenty of people who will come along and tell you what you think you want to hear. Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, Jesus says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Jesus said it, Paul said it, Jude said it, Peter says it. It's all throughout the New Testament. The truth is, is gonna be challenged. So as I was... Um, Studying and, and preparing for this, uh, I was drawn to Revelation chapter 2. Because in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus writes seven letters to the church. He gives them to the Apostle John so that they can be delivered to the church. Are you familiar with that passage of Scripture? So Jesus appears to John, and he says to John, I want you to communicate these seven messages, these seven emails, these seven letters to these seven churches. The very first church that he, that he says, John, write this letter to the church at Ephesus. Isn't that interesting? The same church we're talking about. And Jesus, and we'll look in just a moment a little bit more in depth at what he says, but at the very end of this letter, before he gives them a word of encouragement, he gives them, he gives them a word of encouragement, and then he gives them a challenge, and we'll look at the challenge next week, and then he gives them another word of encouragement, and then he kind of speaks kind of a, a blessing, a benediction over them. But listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. He says to the church in Ephesus, the same church that Paul founded that he's writing to, a church that John spent much of his time at and loved and invested in, that Jesus writes the first letter to, and he says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is an interesting thing. We don't know a whole lot about these people, the, the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, however, however you, uh, you choose to, to say the pronunciation. We don't know a whole lot about them. In fact, we, we really only see mentioned in Scripture here in the book of Revelation as Jesus speaks about them. But historians have traced back how this heresy affected the churches, not just in Ephesus, but in Pergamum and other places in Asia Minor at that time. Here's what they say about these heretics, that they claim to have insight into the divine, and they express their freedom in libertine behavior, which allows them to become part of their syncretistic, that's a fun word, isn't it? Try saying that, Daylight Saving Sunday. To become part of their syncretistic pagan society and to participate in the Roman civil religion. Those are some, some big words. Here's what he's saying. They brought into the church the practices of their culture and said God told them to do it. The Nicolaitans apparently advocated accommodation to pagan society by eating food sacrificed to idols and engaging in sexual immorality. They said, look... You, you can put into your body anything you want. And you can do with your body anything you want. God, God said it's okay. We've got divine insight into this. Which actually happens to sound a whole lot like some of the stuff I saw on Facebook the other night that really ticked me off. Do you see that the challenges facing the culture in Ephesus 2,000 years ago are the same challenges that are facing our culture today? Does that make sense? Is it just me or do you see it? And Paul says, look, the church, the truth, it will be challenged in our culture and 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 get this i I did some research at one point when i was preparing this message i thought i'm going to do a biblical analysis of heresy in the new testament and i got i got through a couple of pages and said now do something different okay so this is um why there's all kinds of heresies the bottom line is this heresy says that i take god's truth and i put my ideas on top of it and i say god's truth would be better it would be more palatable. I would enjoy it more. I think more people would like it if it was more like this than what it is. That's, that's heresy. And in our culture, even in our hearts, 
There's plenty of it. And we, we have reduced God in so many ways. There's a, an atheist named Stephen Fry who was interviewed recently for a, a television program in the nation of Ireland. And he is, he is an avowed atheist. And the interviewer said to him this, um, when you, what, what if you were confronted by God at the pearly gates, what would you say to him? Here's what Stephen Fry said. I'd say bone cancer in children, what's, what's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world where there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say, Fry said. Byrne went on to ask him if he thinks he'd get into heaven if he gave such an answer. And Fry said, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. God's terms are, are just wrong. And I say, pot. Who are you to talk back to the potter? How, how did we get to the point where we were so much smarter than God? Where we were so much wiser than him? Remember the end of the book of Job? God finally steps back and says to Job, you don't know anything. You ain't seen nothing. Do you know who I am? And yet Paul tells us that the eyes of, of our hearts have been blinded by the God of this age so that we cannot see the truth. To the point that we become deluded, not just from outside the church, but even from within. I don't, I don't like to name names and pick fights, but let me just do it anyways. <laughs> um, guy named Rob Bell, who back several years ago rose to real quick prominence in the, in the uh, I almost said the Assemblies of God, we don't claim him, in the, uh, in the evangelical world, and wrote, wrote some intriguing books, did some fascinating Bible studies, and then and this began to just kind of change some thoughts. He's, he's now um, kind of tracking quite a bit with Oprah, who I think is a member of the Trinity, if I remember the right thing she said, I'm, I'm not sure, but... Um, Here's, here's what, just last month. Bell warned that if the church keeps resisting same-sex marriage, it would, quote, continue to be even more irrelevant. This is the part of the quote that gets me. Bell says, I think culture is already there, and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. When you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and co-workers and neighbors, and they love each other and just want to go through life together. There are churches who are moving forward, and there are churches who are almost regressing and making it more of a battle, added Bell's wife. Paul said that there will come a time when people don't want to hear the truth. They're just going to want some doctrinal Q-tips to scratch those itching ears. And my prayer is that I will be a part of a church that regresses in Jesus' name. And, um, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. We'll break it down. What does this mean in our lives? Because, because the quick word that we're branded with is intolerance, right? How, how dare you say that your way is right and my way is wrong? Intolerance is an unwillingness to accept views, beliefs, or behavior that differ from one's own. The problem is, and, and, and forgive me for my arrogance, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. As sure as I lean on this square table. And see, it bothers some of you that I keep calling this a square table. Because you're looking up there going, it's round. It's round to you, it's square to me. I believe it's square. It's what I call square. Square is right for me. Square is where I find peace and happiness. <laughs> and I'm wrong. Because it's round. Just because I say it's something. Doesn't mean it is something. And that's... You, you people are just intolerant and rude. Can't you just let me have my square table? No. You know why? Because it's round. I um, oftentimes will... Um, will, will take my, my phone or whatever, and I'll turn on um, 
music that I want to hear. And sometimes it's just fun to hear some music maybe that I haven't purchased or whatever. So I'll go to iTunes Radio or Pandora. Are you familiar with those services? Like you go to Pandora and you say, hey, I want to listen to this artist. You, sh- you should check out Bill McGinnis Radio. It is awesome. I'm telling you. Is that okay? Is that good? You, you, you listen to an artist or you say, hey, I like this song. Let me hear other songs like it. And what Pandora does or what iTunes Radio does is it begins then to play for you on your device music that's like that, music that you like. Now, here's the deal, though. I'll listen to some music that I like and, and I'll be listening and all of a sudden they'll just throw in a song and I'm like, that's, I don't like that. So what do I do? I just whoop, skip it and go to the next one. What's, what's so wonderful about this for people, why we love it, is because those radio stations are customizable, aren't they? I make them what they want, what I want them to be. And if I don't like what's there, I just, whoops, get past them. And if you're too cheap to buy the app, they only let you skip so many times. And that's when you go from Pandora over to iTunes Radio until that little, right? That's how you, that's how you work that. You, you beat the system that way. Here's the deal. The truth is not customizable. I can't just go through Scripture and go, ooh, I like this, I like this, whoop. Skip that. Oh, I like this, I like this. Whoop, don't like that one. The truth is the truth. And even though it's challenged, it is not customizable. It is not something that I can just take this part and take that part. Because here's the problem with that. Because as soon as I take one part out of this book, I just eliminated the credibility of the whole book, didn't I? So if I want to tear creation out, because that whole seven-day thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, I I just eliminated the foundation that the whole rest of the book is on. If Jesus was just a really good guy who was a great teacher, and man, could he draw a crowd, but that whole salvation, I don't know. The whole sin, I don't know. The whole coming back thing, I don't know. As soon as I start taking parts out, whoop, I've just eliminated the whole thing. Here's the bottom line. This is not customizable, is it? At some point, I've got to go. This, it's truth. And know this, that truth is going to be challenged. The news gets better. Number five, (laughs) The truth hurts. Ever had anybody tell you that? Well, the truth hurts. Well, (laughs) Jesus said it's true. That if you're going to live for the truth, if you're going to stand for the truth, if you're going to be a person of the truth, then at some point it might be uncomfortable and it might be painful. It might not always be easy. Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus. Remember, he's writing to the same church that Paul did. And he says this to them, Revelation chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Listen to what he says to them. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus did not say to them, thanks for standing up for the truth. Hasn't it been fun? (laughs) He didn't say, thanks for living for the truth. It was a breeze. Jesus said, look, if you're going to live for the truth, he affirms that in their lives. But tells them a couple of things if you look at the passage. The, The first is this, that truth requires action. The truth requires that we do something with it. Paul says that we speak the truth in love, that we live out the truth. Jesus says the truth requires action. If I'm going to accept something as true, then I've got to live in a way that expresses that truth. He says, I know your deeds. I've seen your hard work. Sometimes I just want to skate. That's not what the truth compels me to do. The truth compels me to live it out. He also says that the truth requires examination. That's, That's sometimes a little painful too. Because i got to think. Some days I just don't want to think. Some days I just want to take it in. I'll, I'll let the media tell me everything that I need to know. I'll let what feels right be what is right for me. I'm not bashing anybody or anything. I, I just hope we see that that's truth. And oftentimes I don't want to do the work of saying, does this line up with Scripture? Or is this good for my soul? Or if I take this into my heart, what effect is it going to have on my spirit? And here's, here's just the bottom line. The truth requires perseverance. Jesus says, you've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. It's, it's been really good the last couple of months because on on Tuesdays we meet with our staff and I just throw out a topic 
say, hey, look, this is what I feel like the Lord wants me to preach about this next week. And so we, we do that, and they help me to kind of craft ideas and get perspective and help to bring application. And the one thing that just, just came out so clearly as we talked this last week is there's this confusion in our hearts sometimes because we think that our lives are all about being happy. And, and the truth is not about your happiness, is it? Truth isn't about just just whether you like it or not. The truth isn't about whether it's 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 what you want or not. The truth isn't about whether you're happy or not. Sometimes the most important things that you can hear are the truth, and they're not un, un they're not happy things. They're unhappy things because they might require work or they might require some examination. They might require some perseverance. But the truth is not about your happiness. And yet, can you see how in our culture that's what we've made it about? Look. You, you, you take your truth and you take your truth and, and just, just whatever's true for you, that's good. And if that's your truth and it works for you, then Brian, I'm happy for you. But the truth is not about happiness. It's, it's about truth. And here's, here's why. I, and we'll, we'll dig into this next week. What's the practical application of living this out? But here's the bottom line. The sixth thing. This is why this is so critical. Truth number six about truth is this. Jesus said the truth will set you free. If you do the right thing, the truth is going to set you free. It changes everything. Now listen, I, 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 want, you to, I want you to, listen, uh, ooh, you ever got so much coming out, I want you to know what to do with it. John chapter 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let me give you three quick thoughts. The truth offers a foundation for your life. It gives you something. If you'll do the right thing, it gives you something that you can build your life on. It gives you something that is stable. And it gives you a foundation that you, you don't have to wander. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. You can know, even in good times and hard times, when it's easy and when it's challenged, that your life is built on a foundation of the truth. And that makes all the difference. It affects the way you live. It affects your sexuality. It affects your beliefs. It affects your value. And oftentimes, it just affects the decisions that you make. Klein Snodgrass, in his um, commentary on the book of Ephesians, says this. Living the truth in love requires confronting the lies society hands us. Alcohol is not required for a good time. Pornography does demean women. And no, the majority of people are not promiscuous. Poor people are not necessarily lazy. None of us is independent and self-supporting. All Christians are not hypocrites. And no, you cannot worship God just as well by yourself. Because sometimes we need a foundation of the truth. Hey, guess what, Chad? (laughs) Sounds a whole lot more restricting than liberating. Not true. I'm so glad you guys are helping me preach today. This is good. This is good. It's not true. Because at some point, I need to know that I'm on a firm foundation, right? I need to know what works. I need to know what lasts. And the absolute truth is this, that when I wander off without truth, when I go up a mountain without guardrails, if I have a river that overflows its banks, with that comes destruction and devastation and pain and hurt. But when I know what the truth is, then I have a foundation on which I can build my life and a life that will last. Because God doesn't give us truth because he hates us. God, God didn't give us his truth because he was trying to squelch your fun. God gave you truth because he said, if you play by these rules, you're going to enjoy the game a whole lot more. At some point, whenever I've played basketball, I've looked for somebody who's willing to call a foul. Because at some point, if those fouls aren't called, somebody's going to get hurt and the game's not fair. I don't always like them. I just know they're important. We need to know that there's absolute truth. Right? Second thing. You think it's so restricting? Then realize this, that the truth offers forgiveness for your sins. The truth offers forgiveness for your sins. 
I just had an opportunity in, in two different nations in Asia to watch people devoutly committed to their Buddhist religion go to great lengths to try to find forgiveness with no certainty, with no guarantee, and with the only hope that maybe in the next life things might be better. And as we watched them, Pastor Bill and I talked about just how these beautiful buildings and these extravagant sacrifices amount to nothing because even though they want to believe it, the Bible tells me that it's just not truth. But the truth says this, that there's forgiveness available. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Just last week, we... uh, our, our team and volunteers here at Calvary started installing a new Wi-Fi system in our building. If, if you look in different places, in fact, you can't really see them right now, but there's some in the ceiling here. There are these, these white robot-looking things. That, 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 there's facial recognition, so we know if you're here or not. And, um, and it's, it's not true. But that's um, it's new Wi-Fi. Here's why. Because we were having some issues in the building because when people try to get online... And, uh, and and get the get the sermon notes on the Bible app. Sometimes you, you couldn't get it because the Wi-Fi wasn't wasn't the bandwidth wasn't enough for people to get on. And sometimes it affected our live stream. Maybe you've watched the live stream at times and had it cut out. It wasn't always because we were talking about something sensitive. Sorry about last week. Um, but sometimes sometimes it's just the connection wasn't good. Look, you can live your whole life chasing after what you think is true, but if it's not true, you don't have a connection that's good. At some point, what you need is to know that that truth offers you a forgiveness for your sins that you won't find anywhere else. One last thing about this truth that will set you free is the truth offers a future for your soul. It brings that life change that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And what I didn't want to do today is spend a whole lot of time um, going down lists and saying this is a sin and this is not. This is bad and this is good. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should fight the culture here. You should fight the culture there. What I wanted to do today was talk to you about truth. Because I know this. I can't tell you what to do and where to go. But if I can give you a compass and a map. Then you'll be able to determine truth for yourself. And here's what I know. Is that God's word is absolute truth. And it tells us that in him we have a hope and a future. And that after this life we can enjoy life in heaven with Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's, that's the truth. And Jesus is, is the truth incarnate. And then he sent the Holy Spirit who Jesus said we can call the spirit of <laughs> truth. And he'll lead you and he'll guide you. And I want you to know this because that's the only way you're going to get to a purposeful life. That's the only way you're going to find hope and salvation. The only way to find life is through Jesus Because he's the way and the truth and the life. If you you came to me and you said, I I need to get to my home. And I don't know how to get there. Can you give me directions? And I said, absolutely. I with great assurity know how to tell you to get home. And it will be beautiful. And it will be wonderful. And you will enjoy it. And there's fun stops along the way. And I map out those directions for you. And you start going in that way. And even if it's beautiful. And if it's fun. And if it's wonderful. And you make good friends along the way. But you're going this way. And your home's that way. You got bad directions, right? Even if you're in a beautiful place. And you go, wow, this is awesome. I love it here. But if you're going that way. And home's that way. You went the wrong direction. Bad directions, even in a beautiful place, are still bad directions if they don't get you to your destination. What is our ultimate destination? It's heaven. And when we view life with eternity in mind, we realize that no matter how much fun you have in this life, no matter how many friends you have in this life, no matter how many thrills you have in this life, if they are not founded on truth, In the next life, they just don't matter, do they? And Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? I want to say thanks not only for tracking with me this morning, but man, for preaching it for me this morning. Two thoughts. 
First is this. And hopefully there's, there's been a moment where God has spoken to you today about his truth. And just an affirmation from his word that as his people, we are to stand on the authority of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ and say there is truth in this world and you can find it only through him. Next week, we'll unpack what, what that means in our, in, our, in our everyday life. But the hope is that you'll affirm today Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And I also know this, that there may be somebody that's here today, and as I've talked about this, and as I've talked just here at the end about this journey, you've realized that you've been chasing all kinds of things, trying to find a foundation for your life, trying to find forgiveness for your sins, trying to find a future for your soul, and you've looked all kinds of places outside of Jesus Christ. Maybe at one point you were right with him or maybe, maybe at one point things were good or maybe you've never been in right relationship with God. But as we've talked today, it's become so clear to you that your life has been built on things that are false and you've been more like a cork bobbing in the ocean than you've been someone who's stable and standing on something that is true. And, and you would say, and maybe you're, maybe you're watching online Maybe you're watching this in the chapel venue. Maybe you're right here in the auditorium. I don't know where you are right now. But you would say, today, I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need to affirm that in my life, He is the way and the truth and the life. And today, I need to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Whether you're sitting here in this room or you're you're somewhere else. Maybe you're watching online. I don't know where that is. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Anybody else, thank you. I've built my life on a lot of other things, but now I need to affirm that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? I want to pray with you in just a moment. You can raise your hand, put it right back down. Jesus, I make you the truth that my life is founded on. I'm going to ask this, that if you, if you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, or if you just raised your hand to say, I need to make him the foundation of my life, would you, would you out loud repeat this prayer after me? Let's pray it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, that you sent your Son to be the truth. I ask today that you'd forgive my sins. Give me a future. I make you the foundation of my life in Jesus name amen and father we thank you for the truth we thank you for the word that we have we thank you for what we know in you and as we go from here today would you help us to be be people who live and know and share in love the truth in Jesus Christ and we ask this in Jesus name amen